The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. The British people have had enough of waiting. The time has come to act. People are really angry out there. They're angry that the referendum's not being carried out. But they're even angrier that politicians' promises to them have been broken. Given how huge this decision is for our country, the severe consequences there will be for generations, it is time to put this back to the people and stop this Brexit chaos. We will do everything necessary to stop a disastrous no deal. You're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Sebastian Salik. Good afternoon. I'm Roger Hearing, and another amazing day before an even more amazing day. Yeah, the horse trading begins, doesn't it? The race against time for Boris Johnson to sell his last-minute Brexit deal to MPs before that crunch vote in the Commons tomorrow. So what we want to do throughout the next half an hour is talk through all the factions here, a lot of competing interests, and see just what the chances are of this passing. But first, let's hear from some of these people. We start with Dominic Raab, the Foreign Secretary. He is urging MPs to get on side and back this deal. We've got a deal which gives effect now to the referendum. We take back control of our borders, our laws and our money. It's a cracking deal for Northern Irish business because they stay part of the UK customs territory, but they've got uh, seamless access to the EU single market. Dominic Raab, the Foreign Secretary. But one of the government's key allies, the Democratic Unionist Party, have already said, no, we don't want it. The DUP leader Arlene Foster and her deputy Nigel Dodds say the proposals are not in the best interests of Northern Ireland. I think it's very clear to them that we are not going to vote for this on Saturday. But as Nigel says, Saturday is not the end. Saturday is not even the beginning of the end uh, because there's a whole range of issues that have to be sorted out. So the DUP, just one of the spanners in the works for Boris Johnson to get this across the line. The other comes from Labour, Shadow Chancellor John McDonnell, saying there will be consequences for any Labour MPs who vote for the deal. The three-line whip will apply and we'll expect Labour MPs to vote against this deal because it's such a poor deal. I don't believe it will pass. I think it will be defeated, but the numbers are going to be pretty close and we'll see what happens on Saturday itself. It is going to be a fascinating day, but it's quite a perplexing day. There's an awful lot of moving parts, what could happen, what the likelihood of the various scenarios are, and what the consequences might be. Now, we're going to try and provide to you a guide to the perplexed. And with us to help us do that is Matthew Goodwin, Professor of Politics, University of Kent, and Senior Fellow at Chatham House, who's with us here in the studio. Matthew, thanks for being with us. Thank you. Uh, well, let's, let's start, perhaps, with the potential for Boris Johnson getting his deal over the line. First of all, what chance do you think he's got? I think he's got a very good chance, but I think it is a it is this is a coin toss. I mean, this could really go either way. Everything now really hinges, at least in my view, on just how many of those Labour Brexiteer MPs cross the floor and effectively break line with Jeremy Corbyn and John McDonald's position. And if the Caroline Flint tribe within the Labour Party does not cross sufficiently over, then without the DUP and throwing the risk of a couple of those independent Conservatives not following the line, then Johnson will not uh, win this vote and we will have a third 
likely extension as that Ben Act kicks in. Uh, so, you know, it's a coin toss. And Boris Johnson's premiership is in effect on the line, because if it goes well for him tomorrow, then he's going to get the big election, the nice narrative, I'm the guy that delivered Brexit, now give me a big majority, and then he can go about doing the domestic policy agenda. If, on the other hand, it goes down and we enter into voter confidence, alternative administration, second referendum on the table. I mean, this is a really crunch Saturday in the history of British politics. I want to pick you up on Labour because some of those MPs are in a particularly difficult position. I'm thinking like the Caroline Flints of this world, who uh, the party is telling them not to back the deal, but they've been saying for so long that they want a deal. They've got that pressure from the outcome of of the Brexit vote in their respective constituencies. What sort of a effect could the threat to uh, to expel them from the party have on their decisions? Well, I think that will weigh on, on them. I think there are sort of two camps within the possible Labour defection camp, if you like. There, the, there are the Caroline Flints of the world who are in strongly leave seats and who I think instinctively are basically on side with Brexit anyway. And then there are what you might call the pragmatic considerers, the Stephen Kinnocks of the world, who instinctively are against Brexit, but have been saying vocally for much of the last three years, look, we need a deal and a compromise. But whenever they're presented with a deal, they tend to pull back. Now, for the last over the last 12 hours or so, Labour's been turning up the volume on the issue of workers' rights, saying actually this deal is going to completely undermine and erode workers' rights, irrespective of whether or not that's true. That is clearly aimed at the Caroline Flints of the world, backed up with the threat of expulsion, will that be enough to tip them over? I, I suspect, actually, that there are still going to be, I mean, there will still be somewhere in the region of half a dozen Labour MPs that will end up crossing, but that might clearly not be enough for Johnson in the end. OK, so that's the Labour part of this. What about the independents who now, I think, well, they constitute almost record numbers in the House? Members, either former members of the Tory party, former Labour, from all kinds of areas, overwhelmingly, are they likely to go for something that could take them out of the mess? Potentially, I suppose, in the case of the Conservatives who lost the whip, they could come back into the Conservative Party. Well, exactly. That's one of the incentives at play on Saturday, which we probably won't talk too much about uh, uh, over the next few few hours. But it is working behind the scenes in the whip's office that, look, actually, if you come back on side with us, this is your path back into the Conservative Party. And I suspect most of those now independent Conservatives will end up voting with their party and Boris Johnson, not only just because there might be a pathway back, but actually because of that broader view in Westminster now, echoed in some of the editorials this morning, that this is really now the time to get Brexit done and just move on. Uh, and they're aware that actually this could, if this if this goes in a very different direction, which is a defeat for Johnson, a vote of confidence, some kind of alternative administration, an election campaign that becomes a little bit more complicated uh, in many respects, this could actually uh, continue to divide their party in a major way. And then looking towards the ERG, how many do you think we could see getting drawn away with the DUP and, and, and moving in lockstep as, we see, as we've seen them do for so long? Well, take it with a pinch of salt. I've heard there's around 15 or so that are going to cross. Now, that that's why Johnson's deal is very much in play, because he's getting the Jacob Rees-Moggs and Stephen Baker's making nice noises and uh, Andrew Bridgen's making nice noises and all these people that have been problematic in the past. Um, there will be uh, a hardcore that remain loyal to the DUP and we can see Bernard Jenkins and people like that who are saying they're not going to cross. Um, but I suspect a rump uh, will go over. And so, you know, in a way, you could argue that even if Johnson loses on Saturday, 
in a strange sort of way, the Conservative Parliamentary Party is a little bit more united and might feel as though, OK, it can now go into, you know, because there is this view, right, that whatever happens on Saturday, Johnson's actually in a good position. I mean, if he wins a deal, he's the prime minister who's delivered Brexit. Let's move on and reform the country. If he loses a deal, he's the prime minister that was stopped by the Brexit blocking Remain establishment, in quotations. Let's now run the most populous general election campaign that British politics has ever seen. Well, I was going to go on to that. So what's the mechanics? If he wins, then things proceed forward. Will the legislation even be possible to do in the time necessary to get us out uh, by October the 31st, which he's nailed down? I think in theory that there is probably time. But again, there are lots of stumbling blocks given the numbers are so tight. And the one of the things that we are going to see on Saturday is this is one of the likely things we're going to see on Saturday is the let win amendment, which is trying to make this exact point that actually there is not sufficient time to get the legislation through. Therefore, we should delay the approval of the deal uh, so that we can take account of that possibility. And that might might actually command majority support in the House, which would take the fizz out of the vote on Saturday. It would make it a little bit less consequential. But assuming Johnson's deal is passed, they could, in theory, rush the legislation through or alternatively alongside what would be a very small technical extension uh, endorsed by the EU who simply want to get want to get this off the table. Would, would the Tories actually accept it? Because, I mean, it's so much the, the ditch that he would die in or the last line or whatever it is, he's nailed it so hard. Would it even be acceptable to have even a tiny extension? I think the symbolic significance of the vote passing after May's deal failed to pass three times and that Johnson would then be able to say, look, I now command a majority in the House. The Brexit deal has been signed off by MPs. Now we've got to dot the I's and cross the T's. I don't think there'd be a political problem with that. And of course, that de- that deadline was always Johnson's own making. The whole view in number 10 is essentially get to that election as quickly as possible. So Ram, get the legislation through, um, present the package as we're now out, Let's now reform Britain and get to that get to that election. Is there pressure from the Tories who are booted out of the party to make this a confidence issue as well? Because you could argue that it's only fair that if the previous one was, this one should be as well. So there is a, a rumour or a view that Johnson could effectively make it a confidence issue in the coming hours. And if he feels that perhaps the numbers are not going in his direction, that an extra incentive for the independent Conservatives could be, look, actually, I'm going to make this a confidence motion. And it's not only now about getting Brexit done, it's also directly about stopping Jeremy Corbyn or the Labour Party from taking control and losing Brexit forever. I'm not entirely convinced he's going to go that far. I think he might feel quietly confident with the numbers that he's got. I mean, look look at the optics of of Johnson in Brussels. That was a very confident, optimistic Mm. prime minister. The whip's office will have been keeping him constantly uh, uh, updated. So I, I, you know, my view, I think he's quietly confident. But he wants, he almost wants that no vote, vote of confidence so that he can go to the country. That's kind of the point, isn't it? An election off the back of this, because a government of national unity seems a, a, a much less likely option. Than that. Well, I, th- that's why I think either outcome is good for Johnson. I mean, if he gets a deal, like I say, he's the guy who's delivered Brexit. If he doesn't get the deal, he's the guy that was blocked by the Remain establishment. Now, few people in social media and so on are picking this up. But if you look at the data on this and the fundamentals are clear, the Conservative party is strengthening across every different polling house, whether it's depending on how it measures vote recall, and there's a bit of a debate about that, but essentially the Conservative position is strengthening. Johnson's leadership ratings for the first time since entering Downing Street this week, he's now more popular among 
more popular than Jeremy Corbyn, not only among leavers, but among women, 18 to 24-year-olds and Londoners, which is quite an achievement given that those are the strongholds for the Remain vote. And in general, you know, I actually think Johnson's metrics are pretty decent, which is why, I mean, I know internally number 10 are nervous about some of their internal polling numbers. But Mm. if you just transfer the numbers in the average in the opinion polls right now, you're looking at a conservative majority between 40 and 70, somewhere in that range. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Let's have a look through these papers. Roger, you've got the Times first. Yeah, indeed. The Times has taken a view essentially pro the deal. Uh, They say, just do it. Mr Johnson's deal represents a reasonable compromise by both sides and is a better outcome for Britain than Mrs May's deal. Crucially, the deal will allow Britain to pursue an independent trade policy, which leavers see as one of the main benefits of Brexit, which could have been constrained under Mrs May's deal. EU leaders, it says, have already sown enough doubt to signal that another extension is not guaranteed and would surely be unlikely for any purpose than a referendum that looks very hard to bring about. No rational MP, the Times says, should be prepared to take that risk. And then Arlene Foster in the Belfast Telegraph, her own view, of course, not backing this deal. She says, we regret that this is a deal that we cannot support. We do not believe it's in the best economic interests of Northern Ireland. More should be have been secured from Europe. Tomorrow, our members of parliament will oppose the proposal. This, of course, is one of the big roadblocks for Boris Johnson if he is to get this deal passed. Now, the FT has come out in favour, essentially, of a referendum. They say Mr Johnson portrays a buccaneering future for a Britain sliding across the globe, signing free trade trade deals, its business freed to thrive in a light-touch regulatory environment. Yet, by shifting to less advantageous trade terms with the UK's closest neighbour and biggest export market, the reality threatens to be very different. It says the UK and a changing Europe think tank estimates that trade losses and more restricted migration under the Johnson deal would reduce UK income per capita by 2.3% over a decade against 1.9% in Mrs May's deal. It says in 2016, voters were offered a leave option whose endpoint was undefined, which was our sold on a bogus prospectus. Now they know exactly where the path leads. They deserve a chance to decide whether they still wish to follow it. So this is a really interesting prospect, and this is something you want to speak to Matthew Goodwin about. He's still with us. He's Professor of Politics at the University of Kent and Senior Fellow at Chatham House. Uh, Matthew, what happens then? What are the chances of a confirmatory vote being added to this and then passing? So I don't think there'll be an amendment on Saturday that would win majority support. That's why the People's Vote people have backed off. But there could come an amendment, say the deal doesn't pass. There could be an attempt next week, the week after, to try and get that amendment on the table. The last big push for a second referendum. The problem for those that want one is that there isn't a clear support yet in the House, even though we're going to have people marching again this weekend in London, asking for what they call a final say. What's interesting in the polling is that there is now a consistent lead for Remain at a second referendum above and beyond 
be on the margin of error. That if you take the poll of polls uh, that my colleague Sir John Curtis runs, 53% remain, 47% leave. And the other thing to add, of course, is that there have been some fundamental changes since the referendum. Remainers and leavers haven't changed their minds, but people who didn't vote at the first referendum have. Non-voters are now decisively remain, but will they vote? So this is really interesting because this is essentially the Dominic Cummings playbook, right? Targeting non-voters. Are they going to give him a taste of his own medicine? Well, that's. I think that is something that we're going to potentially see if we get to that second referendum. Remember, because leavers and remainers are so polarised, the next referendum won't be about, if there is one, won't be about arguments. It will be about differential turnout. Who can mobilise their own side to the maximum? And Cummings believes quite strongly, I think, that abstainers and non-voters, a lot of Brexit voters, didn't turn out in 2017. They just went back into apathy. His whole strategy is to get them out. Remain's whole strategy will be find the non-voting Remainers and get them out. Everybody wants the untouched crew. But I suppose that, I mean, there's an interesting point in all this, Matthew, which is it, this is going to be a vote, if it happens, in which you have three options, as I understand it. No, no Brexit, no deal, or the deal. Now, if it's, you can see in a referendum, an ordinary referendum, OK, yes or no, simple. When you have three options, it does become rather more complicated, potentially. You might not even get a decisive element out of it. Well, the first thing to say is if you look at the Constitution Unit's estimates, the quickest you can really have a second referendum is going to be about 21, 22 weeks. So for argument's sake, if there was an amendment and it got support, we'd be looking at spring 2020 at the earliest. The second thing to say is question testing alone takes 12 weeks, right? The Electoral Commission will have to take about three months to test questions. There is a rumour, I think there is an emerging view at least, that the preference would be a two-stage referendum, which would be remain leave first round and then soft deal, hard deal if leave wins the first round. But obviously there are lots of, you can already begin to see the problems with some of that. Yeah, indeed. And then of course, you know, what's the message and who are the messengers? Momentum two days ago came out and said they think Keir Starmer and Jess Phillips should lead on the Labour side and Tony Blair and Alistair Campbell should be quiet, essentially. But on the, on, of course, we also know that on the Leave side at the first referendum, Boris Johnson and Nigel Farage together had very powerful leadership effects. They really did drive the Leave vote. But now, of course, they're not talking and they're saying they're not going to do a pact. So you know, it'll all be really interesting. Will we get there, though? I don't know. I'd put the percentage chance of a second referendum at like 20%. Okay. Another issue, though, is what is the measure of success? Because you can look at margin, you can look at turnout. This is something that we've got to consider as well, right, if we do indeed get there. Yeah, I'd be amazed if we replicated the 72% turnout at the first referendum. I just think, you know, the public opinion now is just so everybody's fatigued, exhausted. If we have a general election or a second referendum this year or next year, you know, this is going to be, you know, yet another major nationwide election, you know, the 2014 independence referendum in Scotland, the 2015 general election, the 2016 referendum, the 2017 general election, the 2019 European Parliament elections. I mean, people are tired. You know, people, that fatigue is kicking in. Of course, the other thing to say briefly is this is why the Lib Dems are surging. One of the remarkable things that few people have picked up on is that now about 40% of Remainers are siding with the Lib Dems, which is why the Lib Dems are only two points behind Labour in the polls. One thing we could see if the deal flops on Saturday and we head into another sort of six-month period of chaos and churn, we're not too far off seeing what I'd call the reverse 1922 scenario wow. with the Lib Dems leapfrogging over Labour in the national polls like Labour leapfrogged over Liberals in the early 20th century. I mean, this wow. is now becoming a distinctive the possibility. strange rebirth of Liberal England. That would be a fascinating uh, scenario. I, I, mean, I suppose that's we've, we've moved now into the bit I wanted to get into next, which is, OK, we've, we've game-played what happens if he wins. We've game-played what happens if it goes to another referendum. What if it just... I mean, one thing we know about this Parliament is they've, decide, they've only really ever decided what they don't like, not what they do. So if we have the same thing again, 
and they don't like the deal, but they don't actually vote for anything else, what happens? Well, assuming that the Ben Act does kick in and there isn't a loophole and a sort of way that number 10 can somehow plunge us out of the EU on the 31st, if the Ben Act kicks in, uh, it is then highly likely that we will have a general election uh, at some point between now and early 2020. And of course, that election becomes far more complicated really for everybody. I mean, Johnson actually emerges as the strongest because he's able to say, look, I was blocked on Brexit again by the Remain establishment. For Labour, the Brexit divide remains very salient. For the Lib Dems, it's quite easy. It's just keep rallying Remainers. Whereas if Johnson's deal passes, it becomes even more complicated for all the other parties because Johnson, again, is able to say, I'm the guy that delivered Brexit. Labour Party, meanwhile, in a strange way, they can say, OK, Brexit's done. Let's talk about what we want to talk about, which is economics. And that brings in the Corbynomics agenda. So nationalisation, workers on company boards, uh, possibility of wealth taxes and non-DOM stuff and the latest stuff on bankers' bonuses, all of that comes into play. And the Lib Dems are kind of neutralised because the Lib Dems are now saying, oh, well, we're out of the EU effectively, but let's go back in, which is a... Well, interesting, Tom Brake said to us yesterday, they wouldn't automatically campaign to go back in. Well, the... Okay, so the interesting thing is the campaign to rejoin is fundamentally different from the campaign to remain. Rejoining means a whole host of things that the Liberal Democrats, I'm not entirely sure, have begun to think about. It does mean rejoining uh, through the euro. It means more uh, budgetary commitments. It means much closer integration, et cetera, et cetera. And to be frank, the EU wouldn't even be up for it, I don't think. I think the EU now would say, we've had the half-in, half-out partner. Mm. We've had the awkward partner for 30, 40 years. I think now it's time just to move on and consolidate with the people that do want to be in the club. That's really interesting. Do we get a uh, position where the idea of a government of national unity then becomes back on the table. If Johnson loses a deal, then it's likely we will move quickly into uh, some kind of vote of no confidence. Obviously, he's got a deficit of minus 45-ish in the House, so it was very unlikely he would win. And then, of course, the big question is, who would lead an alternative administration? We'd then have 14 days for that administration to come together. Would it be Margaret Beckett? Would it be Harriet Harman? Would it be Ken Clark? Who, who would it be? Presumably, Ken Clark will be back in the Conservative fold by that point if he's voted for the deal. Um, let's see. I, I, uh, I need, to, need to check that. And then what is the alternative administration? And of course, that's a point where you're going to get a lot of moderates saying, I'm not going to put Jeremy Corbyn into number 10. So the 14 days expires and then we go into the election anyway, because no government can be So formed. not John Burko suggested as someone that Corbyn could accept? I don't think that's a credible suggestion. And I think all of that plays into the coming strategy. Now, remember, most voters aren't tuning into the noise, right? Yeah. All most voters will see right now is Johnson got a deal that mm. most people weren't yeah. expecting Johnson to get. And then the second message at the weekend could be MPs block Johnson. That, in effect, this is, is the Dominic Cummings That's plan. the narrative. And then Johnson just says to everybody, look, I'm trying to deliver on what the people ask for. Um, so back on this government of national unity idea, Corbyn really seems to be the roadblock here because there's no incentive for the Lib Dems, certainly, if they're trying to court Tory voters at an election to allow Corbyn to lead this. Absolutely. The Lib Dems won't work with Corbyn because they don't want to, you know, they're riding high. They don't want to uh, you know, break their own legs. The Labour moderates don't want to legitimise Corbyn because they view him as a fundamental block to the revival of new Labour moderate social democracy. And the SNP are deeply dubious, right? I mean, the SNP, probably of all of them, are, are most open to it because they think Corbyn will give them a second referendum. The question then is, can Corbyn get to the, num get the numbers, right, at an election? And that's a really interesting thing. I expect the Labour vote to rally. I do think the Labour vote will 
rally for a number of reasons. I think they'll squeeze the Greens. I think a lot of Lib Dems will look at their seats locally and realise the Lib Dems aren't even in contention in those seats. And I think the Labour vote will come back up to the high 20s, at low 30s. Then, with a strong SNP performance and maybe the Lib Dems hitting the Conservatives in the South, yes, I think Boris Johnson's strategy is completely clear and I think he would be the favourite, but I wouldn't buy into all of these narratives of like massive sweeping Conservative majorities. Matthew, let me ask you the question very finally that you should never ask a professor of politics. Can you call it for tomorrow? What do you think it'll happen? You know, my instinct is that it's going to come incredibly close, but it won't pass. <laughs> it that's, won't my, pass. that's my instinct. But that is not based on anything other than the fact that I've been saying for the last few months, the most plausible scenario is he loses and we go into an election. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.